0: From the National Association of Evangelicals, welcome to today's conversation. Our topic, the history of Islam. Host Leith Anderson, NAE President, talks with John Azuma, Professor of World Christianity and Islam at Columbia Theological Seminary. Let's join in.
1: I'm Leith Anderson, President of the NAE, here with John Azuma. John is the Professor of World Christianity and Islam and the Director of International Programs at Columbia Theological Seminary. He was previously a lecturer in Islamic Studies and Director of the Center for Islamic Studies and Muslim-Christian Relations at the London School of Theology. He is also an ordained minister in the Presbyterian Church of Ghana. His publications, well a couple of them, include My Neighbor's Faith, Islam Explained for Christians, and the legacy of Arab Islam in Africa, a quest for interreligious dialogue. John Azuma earned an MA and a PhD at the University of Birmingham. Thanks for joining us today, John.
2: Thank you. I'm glad to be here.
1: So many questions that I want to ask you, but uh, let's start out. Could you just tell us about your background and how did you become a scholar of Islam?
2: Thank you. I, as you mentioned in your introduction, I'm from Ghana originally. I'm from the northern part of Ghana, which is predominantly Muslim. And I do come from Muslim background uh, before I became Christian. And uh, in my faith journey, it became quite clear to me that uh, my spiritual family, which is the Christian family that I had adopted, and my biological family, which is the Muslim family, uh, had deep-seated uh, prejudices about one another. Uh, and I felt the burden to pursue my studies in the area of Islam and Christian Muslim relations to see how I can be an instrument of hope and of rebuilding between my spiritual family and my biological family. That's how my journey started and I became, I went to the University of Birmingham in the UK to pursue my postgraduate studies in Islam uh, and Christian Muslim relations after my theological studies in Ghana.
1: What a marvelous background. So I'm thinking you know all the answers and I have the questions. So let's go to the beginning and what do historians recognize as the beginning of the religion of Islam, and would practicing Muslims agree, or would they have different answers on when Islam began?
2: Well, yeah, historically, scholars, uh, historians agree that Islam began in the Arabian Peninsula uh, back in the early 7th century, uh, from 610, 612, uh, to be specific, when uh, the Prophet of Islam, Muhammad, uh, claimed to have a vision uh, and a call from God, which command who commanded him to preach to his own people, the Arab people. So historically, that is the beginning of Islam back in 6, 10, 6, 12 AD But of course, if you talk to practicing Muslims, uh, they will. Uh, muslim uh, scholars agree with that also. but uh, there's also the understanding in islam that islam is prior in other words islam uh, everybody is born a muslim uh, they will argue that adam was the first muslim and moses was a muslim and jesus was a muslim and that it is only after birth that our circumstances and our cultures and our upbringing Uh, change us into something else, but otherwise everybody is born a Muslim. So with that kind of primordial understanding of Islam, they will say that Islam actually started with Adam. But historically, uh, Islam started in the 7th century with the beginning uh, of preaching of Muhammad, the prophet of Islam.
1: So if we think back to um, the 7th century, The the Arabian Peninsula is not highly populated even today, it certainly wasn't then. And most uh, Muslims live someplace other than in the Middle East, they're spread all over the world, especially countries like Indonesia, which has such a large population. Uh, of Muslims. So kind of give us an overview, a, a brief history of how Islam got from a small start to where it is today. And, and how does that correlate or not correlate with the spread of Christianity?
2: Yeah, great question. As um, I said, started in the 7th century, and uh, Muhammad had, if you like, two phases of his mission, of his, of his ministry. Uh, to use a Christian mm-hmm. terminology, mm-hmm. he started preaching in Mecca and uh, in uh, several, in 610, 612, uh, up to 622. He was preaching in Mecca and uh, to the, the poor and marginalized uh, society. Were those and the slaves were those who converted in 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 the appreciable numbers to Islam, but he came under persecution and attack. And he he fled to from Mecca to Medina in 622. And from the, and that began the second phase of preaching and, and, and teaching. And it included uh, some military conquest, uh, the second phase. And so you had Islam that spread after the death of Muhammad, he had the top generals and successors who prosecuted uh, uh, his mission through conquest uh, and commerce. The two main ways Islam spread, I would say, is conquest and commerce, trading. Muslim traders taking the religion with them as they traveled, but also Muslim armies conquering vast areas of land uh, and bringing their population under their rule. And that happened. I have to add, though, that both the conquest and the commerce were uh, conversion, conversion to Islam was a byproduct to these things. They were not the real, they were not the main uh, 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 target. Uh, commerce, Muslim traders were not missionaries. They didn't go out to convert. But their activities and their presence attracted people to Islam. This same way uh, the conquest they went out to conquer land. they didn't go out to uh, convert people to Islam necessarily but after their conquest and people became subjected to Muslim rule over time with all the social and political uh, uh, strictest and injunctions that were put and placed on non-muslim populations, people began to convert to Islam over time so this, so both conquest and commerce Conversion was a byproduct to these things, but very powerful byproduct. And that is how Islam spread uh, outside the Arabian Peninsula, it spread to Indonesia and Africa, sub Saharan Africa in particular, mainly through the, com- the activities of, com- of, of Muslim traders and clerics. So that is how Islam spread uh, to the rest of the world, generally speaking.
1: All right. We've talked about the historical beginning of Islam. We've talked about the spread of Islam. Let's talk about the Quran and uh, and what is its history. For Christians, we think of the Bible as being written over centuries by different authors, but it's a different history for the Quran. So, how did the Quran develop?
2: Yeah, the Qur'an developed with uh, Muhammad uh, receiving what he believed to be revelations from God. Uh, and the traditional account goes that whenever Muhammad received the revelations, he memorized them uh, because it is believed that Muhammad was an illiterate. He couldn't read and write. He was, And he would memorize these verses. And uh, teach them to his followers who will also memorize them. Uh, And some of them started committing these things to writing on all kinds of uh, material that that they could lay their hands on. And so after Muhammad, uh, so the period of Muhammad's ministry from 610 to 632, when he died, he had these uh, revelations and uh, put together after Muhammad's death and a committee was set up to collect the Qur'an uh, as they were scattered in people's memories and uh, in all kinds of uh, places. And there were about three uh, different collections of the Qur'an, and if you like, a compilation. Uh, and that re- resulted in the text that we have today. So the Qur'an has a, te- has a textual history, uh, but uh, it, Muslims also believe that the Quran is the direct word of God that has been delivered to the Prophet the prophet Muhammad and that the Quran is was dictated to Muhammad word to word. So while Christians believe in inspiration uh, of, of, of God's word, Muslims believe in a dictation of the word of God that Muhammad received. And they will go as far as claim that Those that the word as it was dictated to Muhammad has been preserved without change uh, and is up to date. Of course, this doesn't bear out, historically speaking, because of the processes that uh, was engaged in compiling the Qur'an. But the dogmatic, the doctrinal is that the Qur'an is dictated word to word, and it's literally the word of God that God gave to Muhammad and Muhammad passed to his community.
1: My next question is, um, it's, it's asking you with a PhD in this topic to give us, who don't have anywhere near your knowledge and skill, the basics. So, if someone who is really ignorant about Islam says, all right, what are the basic beliefs of this religion? How, what's the quick summary?
2: Yeah, well, the the basic beliefs of Islam are... Uh, uh, I would say the Islam has uh, official beliefs and official pillars or of practices or duties. So what they call articles of faith and and, and and pillars of faith. The articles of faith include belief in one God. God is one. Uh, belief in mess- and angels as God's messengers. God communicates God's uh, word to God's messengers who are angels. And the angels Uh, in turn passed the messengers soon to prophet. So the first belief is belief in prophets. And there are prophets in Islam, Muslims believe that Jesus was a prophet. For instance, and Muhammad was the last and final prophet. Uh, The prophets came with revelation or scripture uh, or the word of God. And in Islam, there's a belief in scripture, which is the fourth belief. So belief in scripture, the Quran is the final scripture. Muslims believe that Jesus was given the Injil or the gospel, and Moses was given the Torah or the law, and David was given the psalm. These are all uh, scriptures that came from God. But Muslims also believe that the scriptures that were given to Moses and Jesus and David uh, have been corrupted by their communities, by by successive communities of believers. And therefore, uh, the Bible of Christians have it today is corrupted. Uh, and it, it's mixed with the word of God and the word of, word of human beings. That's the Muslim belief. And therefore, they believe that the Quran is like that not only the final, but the perfect testament from God. That has not been corrupted. So there's a belief in scripture uh, as the four beliefs. And then there is the belief in the last day, as the day of judgment. Uh, so these are the five beliefs. And, and there's belief, there, there are articles of faith that Muslims have to uh, adhere to. Uh, the first article is what they call the witness or the shahada. You bear witness that there is no God but God, and Muhammad is the prophet of God. That is the first duty of a Muslim. The second duty is to say your prayers or, or salat uh, five times a day. The third duty is to, is to give alms uh, or zakat to, 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 to Muslim uh, fellow believers. The third, the fourth duty is to, is to perform the fast. Uh, fasting in the month of Ramadan, 30 days in the month, in the year. Uh, so the fasting is also a duty to able-bodied Muslims. And then the fifth duty is the pilgrimage to Mecca, that every Muslim who is able has to perform at least once in their lifetime. Uh, there is a sixth belief, uh, which is not official, but it's a part of the, of the duties, which is the duty of jihad or struggle. So, uh, but that's not an official duty, but it's also a very important duty. But the five official duties are what I named, I just named. So these are the beliefs and the, and, 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 and the, and the duties. So in Islam, while Christians say we are saved by faith through faith, in Islam, we are saved by faith through works or through duties. you you can say, because the two are very important
1: in Islam. I think that you've helped us in understanding some of the similarities and dissimilarities of Islam and Christianity, especially as far as salvation is concerned. Uh, Let me ask you, in Christianity, we have uh, different denominations. We have Protestants and Catholics. And it seems, to an outsider at least, that that is what Islam also has with Sunnis and Shiites, but what is that about, and how did that develop?
2: <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. Indeed, in Islam, there are uh, also different factions, and the main factions that uh, we people know of uh, is the Sunni-Shia division. The Sunni and the Shia are the two main uh, factions of, if you like, denomination in Islam, uh, but... Uh, and and it started right after the death of Muhammad and the, in the succession struggle, the struggle for as to who to succeed Muhammad. And there and there, there was a, 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 a big controversial which, controversy which led to a civil war. And it was during that controversy that the Shia Sunni split did happen. And basically, the Shia today uh were those who uh, supported the fact that the rightful successor to Muhammad must be a blood relation to Muhammad, and not and not just any other person. Uh, and those who became known as the Sunnis were those who said any good Muslim, uh, righteous Muslim, can be a successor. And and also there was a, a, a kind of you like a, a, an ethnic divide. The Arabs. Uh, the Arab faction of the of the early Muslim community supported the idea that anyone righteous Muslim can become a successor and the more the Persian the Persian uh, stock of the early Muslim community which is today Iran <coughs> they supported the idea that it has to be a blood relation so there was that kind of a uh, 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 disagreement uh, but so oh, the division took a long uh, racial cultural line between the Persian and the Arab the Arab faction. That is why today you have Iran being the the, 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 the mainstay of the Shia religion, the Shia Islam, and and Saudi Arabia remains the the, the mainstay of Sunni Islam. So this is how the the two uh, branches uh, came about. But within that two big umbrellas, there are also different factions uh, uh, within the Shia Islam. There are factions within Sunni Islam, there are factions. Uh, and the, the other main thing we have to bear in mind is that within Shia Islam, in, there is a, in Sunni Islam, there are four schools of laws. Islam is the religion of law. So uh, within the Sunni Islam, there are four schools of laws that each believer is, is, is allowed to follow each of these schools of laws. Shia Islam also have their own school of law. And within the division of Shia Islam, they have their own schools of laws. So there are different levels of divisions within Islam uh, that uh, are not very obvious as the Sunni-Shia divide. But these are the, two, the, the main divisions.
1: Earlier, when you were talking about the beliefs, the basic beliefs of Islam, the last one that you mentioned had to do with jihad. So in Western media, Islam is sometimes, I guess I would say often, linked with violence and jihad. Although, when you read, you know, research about it, that seems to not be a characteristic of most Muslims. So, uh, help us understand, I guess, the history, but what is the teaching and what is the practice, what is going on in terms of Islam and jihad and violence?
2: Yeah, again, another very important question. I, the, the whole concept of jihad Jihad is the Arabic word which means struggle. It's from the root word which means struggle. And, and the struggle here, uh, it was always defined to mean uh, different levels of struggle. Uh, the first level is to struggle against evil. is a struggle, basically struggle against evil. And it's struggle against evil in within oneself. And uh, evil inclination. And the second level of struggle is to speak out against evil, to preach against evil, to, to, to campaign against evil with our words and our, 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 our mouth. Uh, and the third level of struggle is to go out to physically stop evil, if need be, by use of force. And in Islamic uh, jurisprudence and Islamic law, there has been a lot of detailed discussion of what jihad is. And we have to understand that in the early history of Islam, Islam was very dominant military. And so the military component of jihad became dominant. And if you read the books uh, of Islam, of, uh, of, of uh, Muslim primary sources, there are huge sections on, on, on military jihad. And, and therefore, uh, jihad came over time to be associated with conquest and struggle, physical armed struggle, against unbelievers, against non-Muslims. So you have that kind of question there. But uh, there's also, a, the teaching also goes on to, this, to, this, to discuss in detail how a jihad has to be promulgated, who qualifies to promulgate a jihad, to, to declare a jihad. All of those things, was, and who are the legitimate targets, and how should it be conducted? all of those intricate discussions were undertaken by early muslim jurists i have to say that what is happening today though is that yes, the teaching of jihad is there the militant jihad is there it's in the books but some of the groups that we have today like al-qaeda like isis and boko haram and what you have these militant groups in my view they are usurpers. they are not following the laid down uh, uh, very complicated rules that have been laid down in the books on to who as to who qualifies to declare jihad, what are the legitimate targets, and 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 who can and cannot participate in jihad. All of these are laid down in the books, and I can tell you that the four schools of thought that I mentioned all make it very clear that it is the Muslim uh, uh, recognized authority who can declare jihad. You can't just get up because you're a Muslim and declare jihad. And they don't, they don't, the, books, the, the, the laws don't allow that. It is like an American citizen who gets up and says, well, I'm an American citizen and the American constitution allows America to declare war. Therefore, I'm going to declare war against another country. You can't do that as an American citizen. It is the, it is the Congress that has power to declare war. And that, these, are some of the, these are some of the intricacies that are going on and the, uh, the, the, the confusion that's in the minds of, of, of many uh, people about, about the struggle and about the heart in the world today and Islam and the violence.
1: Let's talk about the relationship of Christians and Muslims. So North Africa used to be essentially a Christian area. So did what is now Turkey. Um, and now those are Muslim majority. If you visit uh, Southern Europe to Spain and other parts of uh, southern Europe, you can see where there was a Muslim influence in architecture and history and yet um, you know today those are, are not Muslim majority areas so there's been this sort of checkered histories. Could you talk about what that relationship between Christian and Muslims has been sort of over the centuries and, and specifically, uh, if you could also include in that Sort of the history of Christians and Muslims in the United States.
2: Yeah, uh, <laughs> yeah. The history of between uh, Muslim and Christians has been has been very complicated. Uh, when Muhammad was facing persecution in Mecca, the first place he asked his believers, his followers, to uh, to seek asylum, was Christian Ethiopia, Christian Abyssinia, what is now present-day Ethiopia. So there was a very strong sense of a close affinity between Muslims and Christians at the outset. And Muhammad himself believed that what he was preaching, the God he was preaching was the same God that the Christians and the Jews worshiped. So there was there was that kind of uh, that level of close affinity uh, between Christians and Muslims. And you see that uh, element of that in the history of the relationship. There was also the element of and philosophical and intellectual exchange between, the, the, between Muslims and Christians in history. And as Muslims mm-hmm. conquered vast areas of land they, they, that was predominantly Christian, Muslims were rulers, but they didn't have the know-how to run uh, various uh, functions of government. And therefore, Christians were put in very high positions to to help govern this uh, Muslim, early Muslim empire. And so you have that kind of cultural, intellectual, theological, and philosophical exchanges that did take place, uh, and a lot of that you find that even in Muslim Spain, where uh, Muslims really helped to trans to transmit uh, a, a Greek philosophy in, into West into the into, what, uh, into, into the West today. So there were that kind of levels of of of, 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 of also, a philosophical, intellectual, and cultural exchange, but there was also the military uh, uh, confrontation between Muslims and Christians in history. As I said, Muslims were conquering, and uh, when Muslims got uh, out of the Arabian Peninsula, the the first areas of target of conquest were Christian lands in, in the in the Middle East, so what is today uh, Palestine and, and 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 Syria and Iraq and uh, we're all uh, Lebanon and Egypt, uh, North Africa, as we said, we're all Christian lands. Muslims said this within a short period of time. So there was a military confrontation. Now, uh, after about, uh, uh, uh 10 centuries, if you like, about six centuries of Muslim conquest, Christians responded in the crusade in the 11th century. Uh, and the Crusades uh, have become a big defining uh, moment in Christian-Muslim relations. Uh, And then you have the colonial uh, uh, Western dominance that started with the age of exploration and Western dominance started. Uh, Again, at at that period of time, Muslims start under siege. Uh, And so you've had that kind of uh, back and forth between the Muslim and the Christian world. And today, you have uh, both is feeling under siege. The West is feeling under siege because of uh, migration and the Muslims uh, and uh, of Muslims uh, and other immigrants coming in, but also under siege from the threat of terrorism. The Muslim world is also feeling under siege uh, from the West because of the cultural uh, globalization and 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 the dominance of American culture. So all of that. It's to tell you that our relationships have been very complicated, and it is easy to, uh, to simply say it has been just violence, but it was much deeper and much complicated than just violence. But violence and conflict has been part of the relationships also.
1: When you say that the 11th century, the Crusades, that was a defining moment. If there's a defining moment in our century, it is probably 9-11. And in the United States, but I think we can all see how that has sort of had an effect around the world. From a historical perspective, and I know this is by history relatively recent, but from a historical perspective, do you think with nine eleven and what has happened so far in this century that things have gotten better or worse or about the same as they have been in previous generations?
2: Yeah, I would say that. Things were getting really better until 9/11. Uh, things were getting better despite the top class positions, because there were a lot of efforts being made, on especially on the Christian Western side, to engage in dialogue with Muslims. And I was myself part of a lot of meetings of inter dialogue of Christian-Muslim dialogue, to a very high level uh, engagement. However, 9/11 came and changed that dynamic very, very dramatically. Uh, and you are right; 9/11 has been a defining also in the relationship between the the Christian West uh, and the Muslim Orient uh, and the Muslim world in particular. And that that has been to, for 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 the worst. And we and, and the and the war against terrorism that was launched from from after 9/11. It has simply deepened the suspicion and the anger and the resentment in the Muslim world towards what they see as Christian America and its dominance uh, and, and, and its, it's exploitation of the Muslim world. So it has really gotten really worse. But I have to also say that. Uh, the, 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 the indiscriminate attacks of the terrorists, of the violent uh, militant groups, Muslim militant groups, is also again beginning to have an impact on Muslim communities around the world, because Muslims have been the victims of most of these attacks more than anyone else, and therefore Muslims, it has also been a moment of uh, soul searching. And introspection in Muslim communities and Muslim society. as so, what is it that we need to do? And one of the things they want to do, they are trying to do, is to reread Islamic texts and to reread Islamic history and to and to critically engage the source books. But uh, but apart from that, they are also now beginning to reach out to people of other faiths. And and you now find a lot of interest in Muslims who want to talk to Christians after 9-11 than you had, than you found before 9-11. So those are also positive signs also. So I would say it's a mixed bag, uh, but I am a person of, of hope and uh, I'm very optimistic. It says uh, we cannot give up on hope and we cannot give up on faith and we cannot give up on love because Paul says this is the excellent way and that is what we should, we should strive to uphold
1: that is really helpful. There's a piece of me that just wants to stop and say that's the last statement, but I do have a couple more last questions. <laughs> you um, you have a different perspective than most of us would have because it's hard to see ourselves within our own history and our own culture. So you come from the north of Ghana, you come from um, a Muslim area, you educated in uh, in Europe, in the UK. So from your perspective, how do you think, or what do you think, American Christians most misunderstand about Islam?
2: Well, I think that uh, American Christians are not any different from many Christians in different parts of the world. And, And the misunderstanding of Islam is not also exclusively a Christian thing. I would say that even many Muslims don't understand their own faith if they did we wouldn't be having the problem that we haven't and so uh, there's a deep misunderstanding of Islam across board with both Muslims and Christians uh, but when you come to America I think for me the, the the misunderstanding of Islam is that we don't we don't really get uh, a sense of the the depth of sectarianism within Islam. And the sectarian divide is deep and is, 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 is palpable. And if Americans don't take time, we can easily be co-opted onto one side or the other. And my fear is that that is going on. And uh, that we have been co-opted, America, America has been co-opted into some of these sectarian wars and battles in the Muslim world. And we need to be smart up on that. The other thing, of course, is is that we, as Christians, American Christians, because of the 9/11, we see every Muslim as a potential terrorist, and that, for me, is very, very dangerous. Because uh, when you begin to demonize everybody of that faith, then you you run the risk of dehumanizing them and you run the risk of, 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 of sanctioning law, inter, or, or implicitly or, or explicitly uh, harm to these to vulnerable people. So for me, the, the misunderstanding of, of Islam uh, and of Muslims, we have a lot of work to do in educating uh, our, our people uh, and, and, and helping them to understand that not every single Muslim is a potential terrorist because it breaches. Fear and hate in church. and my worry as as, as, a, as as an ordained minister is the fear that is gripping Christians, uh, and not just the fear, but also the radicalization of Christians uh, in our theology, in our approaches, and, uh, and I say that radical Islam. My big, my biggest fear that radical Islam is radicalizing Christians in America more than it is actually radicalizing young Muslims. And we need to pay attention to that, that radical Islam does not define our faith and our Christian values going forward, because you can easily become a mirror image of what you so much detest and even hate, if you don't take time and you begin to use and deploy the same means and the same weapons and the same uh, propaganda that they are using. And that, for me, be concerned. Christians don't lose our compassion, the, uh, the gospel message of love, of building bridges. We should never lose them, because that is what we have to offer to the
1: Muslim world. One last question, and this specifically goes to your being an historian. That's what you do, that's what you know, that's how you're trained, so I guess I'm asking for an endorsement here, but How does history of Islam help us in today's context? Why is it important to understand and and know history in order to live in our own times?
2: Yeah, that is a very good question. I think that history is very important. Uh, I've been teaching in the West for some time now, and and I know that American society is a forward-looking society. Americans want to look forward, And they are, they are very enterprising, and, and uh, that, is, that is great. That is the state of America. Uh, and so, when it comes to looking back at history, we are, we are not good at that. And yet, when you go to the rest of the world, uh, the majority world, history is very important. People take history seriously. History is our mystery. History determines our present-day relationships and our future relationships. And therefore, understanding our histories, uh, shared and uh, whatever is important in building uh, our relationship today and in building a future that we can all live together uh, in peace uh, and for the mutual enrichment of our community. Therefore, for me, because of the importance of history that is still very pervasive in the, in the majority world, in the rest of the world, America cannot live in an island and therefore we have to go, we have to get to learn and know history ourselves so that we can our our, our our partners and our, our, our friends in the rest of the world meaningfully and intelligently. And that is very important for, for onward relationships.
1: For listeners of this conversation, you may also want to listen to my conversation with Joseph Cumming of Yale University on an evangelical perspective of Islam. If you want to check that out, you can go to nae.net slash Cumming Podcast. So the nae.net slash you can figure out, but it's C U M M I N G T O D C A S T. Our guest on today's conversation, has been Dr. John Azuma, Professor of World Christianity and Islam at Columbia Theological Seminary. I'm Leith Anderson, and on behalf of us all, very special thanks to Dr. Azuma.
0: The National Association of Evangelicals is where we use influence for good. Today's conversation is one of many ways we connect and represent evangelical Christians in the United States. To discover more NAE topics and resources for you and your church, please follow along on Twitter at NAEvangelicals or on our Facebook page for the National Association of Evangelicals. And sign up for our email list when you visit our website at nae.net.